Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is challenging us to become who we are in Christ. We've been told in this letter to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live knowing the gospel is true. Live as who you really are, one rescued, one saved by Christ. So listen now to the word of God, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, let me pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the power of your word. We rejoice in the hope of the gospel and yet we hear the commands of the apostle. And so, Lord, let us live lives that are worthy of the gospel. Let us live as those who are, who are wise, who are controlled by your spirit, who, who follow after you. And so, Lord, as we hear your word, let your spirit have control of our hearts to expose our sin, to point us to the hope of the gospel. Father in heaven, we come because of the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ since we come in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. When Martin Luther, his is the gospel legacy we'll celebrate next week at the Reformation service, when, when Martin Luther traveled to Rome as a monk, a professor of theology, he was anxious to visit the holy steps. These this marble staircase, the legend says, had been brought from Jerusalem to Rome, from Pilate's judgment hall. These were thought to be the steps upon which Jesus himself would have walked the night of his arrest. And so pilgrims would come and go on their knees, step by step, up the 28 steps, praying, praying that through this action, God would forgive them. But when Luther, the monk, reached the top and he looked back down, he realized nothing had changed. There was no power in these steps. And so where could the hope be? And so he remembered the words of Scripture that, that the righteous live by faith, not by their works, not by these actions. And so it was here that Luther began to see the futility of working for his own salvation. It was here that he began to understand the necessity of faith and God's grace. See, what does a truly spiritual life look like? How do we get closer to God? Would an ascetic experience, a, a pilgrimage like this, would it do it? Would it get you closer to God? Do you need some vision? Do you need some, some experience where God makes his revelation known to you personally so that, that this, this is the way, the way that you can get closer 
to God. What does a spirit-filled life look like? See, Paul is, is telling us what it, what it means to be filled with the Spirit, what it means to live as those who follow after Christ. Look at the command of verse 15. Paul warns, be very careful then how you live. Think about the way in which you walk. Think about your life. It's, it's the same language that we, that we saw at the beginning of this series in, in chapter 4, verse 1. The, 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 the hinge on, with this, on which this gospel application of Paul's letter, letter turns. Look, look back at chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live as becomes a follower of Christ. Live a spirit-filled life. And Paul, in this passage, sets it up by a, by a series of contrasts. We, we, we see it. It's, it's, it's obscured a little bit in our English translations where, where there's these three contrasts. Look at verse 15. It's, it's most clear there. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 17 will say, Not as the foolish, but as one with understanding. Or verse 18 not as one who is drunk, but one who is filled with the Spirit. It's it set these, these contrasts of what does it mean to follow after Christ? How do we get closer to God? What does a Spirit-filled life look like? It looks like the ordinary path of following after Christ and obeying His commands. Look again there at, at verse 15. The, the first command that's given to us to, of how we should live, not as the unwise, but as wise. That biblical category of wisdom, not merely the, the sort of wise old owl who has all of the answers, but as one who can actually put into practice the truth. This is a life of obedience. Practical obedience, the practical outworking of what you really believe. And so don't live as the unwise who follow their own path, who do their own thing, but live as those who are wise. Paul says then, making the most of every opportunity. Now, this is a phrase that, that might initially seem broad enough to us to, to just be an inspirational poster or slogan. And actually, that's the way ESPN has been using it all week for the Eagles game. One of the players says, let's make the most of this opportunity. See, because you can, you can use that kind of phrase in, in any moment of life, can't you? But what is, what is Paul saying? He's saying, literally, redeem the time. Buy back the opportunity that you have right now. You have before you an opportunity. And, and in other places in, in Paul's letters, particularly in Colossians, it, it's clear. He's, he's talking about the opportunity that you and I have of gospel obedience, of sharing the gospel with others. Make the most of the opportunity right now. Why? Verse 16 says, because the days are evil. Again, this contrast between a life of, of following your own path, of of foolishness and a life of wisdom of following God's path but but even more than that that language of the days the evil days in which we live is Paul is is reminding us there is coming a day he's looking forward to that future day when Jesus Christ will return when the when the next age the coming age the age of of perfection comes when when evil will be completely destroyed do you hear what what Paul is saying right now in this moment, you have an opportunity to make the gospel known in these evil days. But the judge will return. There are people in need of rescue. Make the most of every opportunity. You, you heard Jim and Karen describe it. 
an exploding power box on the front of their house becomes an opportunity, right? To meet neighbors they otherwise would not yet have met. Next week, you'll have little kids come to your door. An opportunity for you to meet your neighbors. Or I, I remember a, a story I read a couple of years ago about, about Bob Froze. He was a, a much-used backup goaltender for the Philadelphia Flyers in the 1980s. So, so this is combining all the things that I love, hockey and the gospel, because, because Bob Froze was, was the backup goaltender to Pelly Lindbergh, this up-and-coming, budding superstar that was going to revolutionize the team. And, and they, they had competed for this, the starting job, and Lindbergh won it. And they had worked through their, their personal conflict now, partnering together, for the, for the good of the team. And, and Lindbergh has the, has the TV on in the locker room one day watching this, this televangelist. Now, perhaps not the, the clearest explanation of the gospel, but, but what he does is he turns to, 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 his, to his, his teammate and says, hey, Frosty, the nickname, if, your name, if your last name is Froze and you're always on the ice, then your nickname becomes Frosty. Hey, Frosty, what's a real Christian? Talk about an opportunity. The question is being asked point blank, but, but Frosty got mad. Mad at Lindbergh. In a sense, how dare you kind of put me on the spot? I'm, I'm trying to blend in here. I mean, here's a, here's a young man in his mid-20s trying to make a career, trying to, to fit in with a team. Goalies, are, they're crazy already, and so, so to try and, try and fit in with the rest of this group, and so, so he, he's thinking to himself, we spend every other night in a hotel room. There's a Bible in the, in the drawer. Just figure it out yourself. And so he changes the subject, and he doesn't answer the question. Hey, Frosty, what's a true Christian? Now, if you remember the name Pelly Lindbergh, then you know what happens. Two weeks later, this young superstar would be dead, killed by his own drunk driving. Frosty never answered the question. But he said that night that, that Pelly died was a night that changed his life because he remembered the, the wise words of a, of a former teammate, a, an older man, a, who, who had told him, Frosty, stop fooling around. You claim to be a Christian, live like a Christian, live a life of integrity. And, and so that became the moment in which, in which he decided he would do that to live a life of, of truth. He realized he'd been forgiven, and so, so after his playing days were done, he had opportunities to coach, but he accepted a call to preach, to make the most of the opportunity, knowing that the days are evil, the days are short, there is a judgment coming. What opportunities do you have this week? Who are the people in your life that, that turn to you with desperation and, and ask, what's it really mean? What is life all about? What hope is there for me? Make the most of every opportunity. See, that's the first contrast, the, the contrast of, of the fool and, and, and the one who is wise. And, and it's similar to the contrast which then comes in verse 17. Following that, the sort of the same structure there, it, we, we see this, this contrast. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand. Do not be foolish. Do not be, be one who, who chases after your own ways. Again, this contrast between wisdom and foolishness in the Bible. But understand what the Lord's will is. Now, as, 
modern people, when we think about the Lord's will, we might think about, well, should I take this job or should I take that job? Should I date this person or should I date that person? What, what, we're looking at the very specific questions of life. And yes, we are meant to come to God and to, to understand what he wants for us in, in those areas. But, but when Paul here is speaking about the will of God, he's, he's thinking much, much more broadly than that. What is God's will? Well, Paul's already told us, turn back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. In chapter 1, verse 9, he's describing the grace of God in, in predestining us from the, from the beginning of time to be, to be sons through Jesus Christ, the, the forgiveness, the redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ. And, and he says in verse 9 of chapter 1, And God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. You see, when you understand God's will at that level, the level of his redemptive work through Jesus Christ, then it gets easier to answer those questions. Should I go back to school or not? Those questions become easier to answer because what you're seeing is, is God's great, big, gigantic will is the gospel. The story of, of the gospel being made known to everyone. And so when, when we're called to understand what the Lord's will is, we're meant to see our place in the unfolding story of the rescue that comes through Jesus. We're meant, as we saw in verse, verse 16, to make the most of the opportunity to, to share the gospel. It's, it's, it's what we saw last week in verse 10 of chapter 5. In, in, our, in our verse, verse 17, we're to understand what the Lord's will. We saw last week that, that, that a life of obedience is to find out what pleases the Lord, to find out what the Lord expects of me. See, our, God's will is for us to be formed into the image of Christ, to be made like Christ. And so how do you figure out what God's will is? It, it's, it's not so much as those big sort of crossroads of life. It's just through the next step of obedience. What is God's will for you now? To love him, obey him, to follow after him, to serve him, to take the next step in obedience, not as one who is foolish, but as someone who understands the gospel. The story that, that this life is not about you, but about Jesus. The rescue that comes to us through Jesus. Now, Paul gives us a, a third contrast. Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now it sounds like Paul is getting very specific to give us a, a list of what does it look like. Because that's a, a very specific instruction. And, and yes, Yes, this is a, a specific instruction that, that, a, that a Christian should not be drunk, should never get drunk, should never lose that kind of control because what are we meant to do? We're meant to be, be under the control of the Spirit and so we don't let other substances control us. We let the Spirit of God alone control us. And, and, you, and you might think here, oh, this is sort of what I expected when you, when you hear about Christianity. Christianity is, is a list of, like, don't do these kinds of things. And take all the fun things of life, 
put them on a list, and then put the words do not in front of them. And that's what Christianity is. Right? We, we've seen. Do not explore your sexual freedom. Do not get drunk. Do not joke around. Those, I mean, isn't, that's the list of what we've seen in chapter 5. Is that what Christianity is? And maybe that's, that's your view of, of Christianity, that it's merely a list of, of moral instructions. But, but notice with me, even here, even here the contrast is not between do not get drunk, which leads to debauchery. Instead, do this list of good things on the other side. No, what, what is Paul saying? Yes, he is giving us a very specific instruction about drunkenness. Because drunkenness leads to, to other kinds of sins. We're putting ourselves in, in positions where, where debauchery, where, where a life lived under the control of the world becomes ours. But it's, but it's about more than drunkenness. Because the warning here is not merely, don't, don't go down the path of Peli Lindbergh, a path that could lead to your death. No, Paul's contrast is bigger than that. Do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, instead of letting the, the things of this life have control over your heart, instead of letting the, 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 even the good things of this life, the joys of this life, lead you down a path of, of recklessness, instead of that, set that aside and let the Spirit of God have absolute control over you. Let God's Spirit command your life. See, it's, 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 it's bigger than don't do these things and then do these things instead. You see, it's actually a radical transformation. No longer will I control my life following after this path. Instead, I will allow myself to be controlled by another. And we've seen the, the work of the Spirit of God. We, we, we're to let God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God have control over our lives. We, again, if we turn back to chapter 3, we see the, the work of the Spirit. If we turn back to chapter 1, we're told that we were included in verse 13 of chapter 1. We were included in Christ when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, we were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the promise that we belong to God. And verse 14 says, He is the, the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So don't chase after the things of this life which, which leads you into recklessness. Instead, let the Spirit of God have you because you're part of God's great redemptive plan. You are one who, who is guaranteed an inheritance in that, in that day which will come when these evil days have passed. You belong to the Spirit of God. We see the work of the Spirit then in verse 17 if we continue down in chapter 1. The apostle is, is, is praying. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, when you think about the, the command that we have in our chapter, do not get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. See, that's a command, an active command. Be continually, a, a present command, be continually filled with the Spirit, but it's a passive response, right? It's not fill yourself. It's not do these good things. It's allow the Spirit of God 
to have control over your life, to change you more and more into the image of Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. This language of fullness is, is, is throughout this letter. We see the fullness of Jesus Christ, the one who is the head over all, who fills everything in every way, we read in chapter 1. We see that, that Jesus is the, the fullness of God in our midst. That in, in chapter 4, we, we saw in previous weeks that, that Jesus is the one who has ascended into heaven in order to fill the whole universe. Jesus, we are told, is the one who will fill us. You and I are meant to grow, in chapter 4, verse 13, to maturity. And what does that maturity look like? It looks like the, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so let the fullness of Christ fill you now by the Spirit of God at work in you. Do you hear what, what Paul's command is? Be who you really are. Chapter 1, we were told, you have been marked with the Spirit. The Spirit is yours. You are filled with the Spirit. Now chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit. I mean, we might want to say, well, well, which is it, Paul? Do I have the Spirit or do I need the Spirit? And his answer is, Yes, you have the Spirit if you've turned to, to Christ by faith, but you need to be filled by the Spirit because there is still sin within you where you are, you are pushing God away from your life. You are, you're telling the Spirit, no, 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 not here, not this part of my life. This I'll just keep for myself. This is important to me. And so you can't have control over this. And, and yeah, the example he gives here is of drunkenness of wine. But what is it in your life that you won't give up to allow the Spirit to fill you? So we're called to be continually filled with the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to change us. And then really what will flow then in the, in, in, in the rest of, of, of this passage, but even in the coming passages, is really flowing out of this command to be filled with the Spirit. Because verse 19, we could say that to be filled with the Spirit is, is how, do you, how are you filled with the Spirit? By speaking, by singing. Or verse 20, by, by giving thanks. Or, or even verse 21, which we'll look at next week, by submitting to one another. What does a life in the Spirit look like? That's, that's what, it, what, what Paul is going to now do is, is talk in, in really concrete terms. In the coming weeks, we'll see what that looks like in our relationships as husbands and wives and children and parents, as slaves and masters. Paul is saying, live a life filled by the Spirit. Actively allow the Spirit to have control of your life. Give over your life to Him. And then he starts to tell us what that looks like, what a Spirit-filled life looks like. It doesn't look like a, a journey up a, a set of steps, praying a, a ritual, ritualized prayer. What does it look like? Look at verse 19. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. You see, a life controlled by the Spirit just overflows into worship. And, and it, it, it's right when we say things in, in a worship service, like there is, you know, I'm worshiping for an audience of one. There's only one to whom I'm giving my praise. But, but no, and, and that is, Paul is saying that here. He says, sing and make music in your heart 
to the Lord, to Jesus Christ. He is the, the object of the worship, the one who deserves all our praise and glory. But, but, but what does Paul say? He, he not only tells us there's a vertical dimension to worship, that we are, are lifting up Christ, he says there's this horizontal dimension. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. See, corporate worship isn't just for our convenience, because it's, this is an easy time to get together well-trained musicians to lead us, and that would be harder to do on my own. Now, you live in a day and age when, with a push of a button, you can have music playing around you. Some of you perhaps live your lives with music playing nearly constantly around you. And so it's, we don't gather in corporate worship because it's convenient just so that we can have live music. And we gather because you and I are meant to, out of the overflow of the, the, the fullness of the Spirit of God in our lives, we are meant to speak to one another, to, to instruct one another, to encourage one another in the hope of the gospel through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, and this designation is, is Paul's just showing us there's, there's music both in the Scriptures, music in the history of the church, and, and music in our, in our hearts that needs to be expressed in the hope of the gospel. And so when you gather together, I mean, even, even, and this may seem like a little thing, but the fact that this room is well lit when we gather for worship, and it's not the lights don't drop and we don't bring down room darkening shades and, and only let you see the people standing at the front as if it's just between you and God, is the reason that it's lit in here is so that you can see the people around you. Because your worship, now part of it is just because of the size of the windows, um, but you're not here by yourself. There are times when you need to be worshiping on your own, worshiping with your family. But then there are times that the church is meant to gather together to speak to one another. It's because when you, with joy and with boldness, can sing forth the praise of God, you are an encouragement to me. When I know the struggles that you're walking through, and yet you can still, with truth ringing through your voice, lift the, the name of Jesus Christ, then, then you strengthen me. And do, do you see then that if, that if you and I are, are regularly speaking the gospel, if, if you and I are filled with the Spirit, then, then the gospel is, is going to be all around us. Gospel opportunities are going to be right there in front of us. Because we're just going to be talking about what's most important to me, the gospel, what God has done for me. And yes, you're going to have those moments where somebody turns to you and says, what does it mean to be a Christian? But you're also just going to have opportunities to talk about the gospel because that's what your conversations are filled with. You're filled with the way that God is working in your life. And not in, not in like cheesy ways where you're, where you're like lurking, looking for the opportunity, like ready to pounce. As soon as somebody lets the, the door open just a little bit, I will pounce. There isn't going to be an opportunity here. No, I mean in the sense that you're just talking about the things that have changed in your life. The way that you have, you've been able to set aside drunkenness. The way you've been able to set aside anger. The way that you've been able to set aside greed or impurity. And you've seen God changing your heart. Because the gospel becomes what's most important to you because the Spirit of God is, is the one who is filling you. Because you're, you're humming, you're singing songs of praise. Because your life is filled with the hope of the gospel. So that not only do we, do we sing when we gather together in corporate worship, but, but all the time. Look at verse 20. We're always giving thanks to God. 
And, and notice how comprehensive verse 20 is. When are you to give thanks? All the time. For what? For everything. Who are we giving thanks to? God our Father, the one who has, who has sent the Spirit through the Son. When we do this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, again, think of how earth-shattering that, that title, that designation is. Jesus is the Lord, Yahweh himself, the God of all creation, the one with all authority and power and dominion, the one whose fullness fills even the heavens. This is the Lord Jesus. Jesus, the name of our rescuer. Jesus, God will save. Jesus, God, is faithful to rescue us. And what, is, what does that salvation look like? It looks like Jesus, the one in whom all fullness, the, the fullness of God dwells, coming to earth to die for us. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised anointed king, our rescuer. And you see then, you can give thanks in all kinds of circumstances, all the time. If that gospel is true, then no matter what you face is a day of thanksgiving, a day of joy and of hope because of what God has given to you. See, that's where the opportunities come from, to speak to one another. When you see the rescue that is yours in Christ, you see the grace that is yours in Christ. That's where the opportunities to, to share the gospel come from, when your life is, is filled. And, and so, so would you be able to say that? Is your life one that is filled by the Spirit? Is your life one where people would say, she lives with such a joy and gratitude? Or do people walk on eggshells around you, afraid of offending, afraid of, of doing anything in front of you because you just might complain or, or criticize? So that's not a life filled with the Spirit. A life filled with the Spirit is one of, of joy and encouragement, and one of, one of music and worship, one of thanks to God for what he has done for you. See, when Paul commands us to be very careful then how you live, he's commanding us to give ourselves, our entire lives to Christ, to give the Spirit of God absolute control in our lives. We give thanks to God for everything in the name of God of the Lord Jesus Christ. That name is yours now. Rescue for you through the name of Jesus Christ. Rescue through the King, the Savior. Paul is telling us Christians live. Live lives as children of God. Live lives worthy of the calling that is yours. Live a life giving thanks to God in the name of Jesus. Now, Paul's contrast for us has been a contrast between how we should not live and how we should live. It builds on the contrast we've, we've seen of, of what we once were, but who we now are. Now, I saw a, a tragic news story of girls in India who were given the, the names in Hindi that essentially mean unwanted or unloved. Now, it's part of a broader cultural 
challenge in, in that part of the world where, where sons are exalted and daughters not as much. And some of it is the, 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 the broader social and, and economic problems. But there were these girls, 285 girls, in the, in the Satara district of the Mahashtra state who went before a judge to have their names changed. Their names changed from one who is unwanted. So that every time a teacher calls her name, she's reminded of her value. You are not wanted. Every time a friend, even in joy, calls for her, she's reminded of, of what her society thinks of her. One of the girls who, who, whose name was changed, and some of the girls chose names of, of, of famous actresses. Some chose names of, of, of that, that, that just described their joy and their power and their vitality and their purpose in life. But one of the girls, she says, now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me by, by my new name. This makes me happy. She had been named unwanted by a grandfather disappointed in her birth. See, brothers and sisters, you and I, in the name of Jesus Christ, have been rescued. You are no longer unwise. You are no longer foolish. You are no longer under the control of the powers of this world. You are living your lives under the name and the authority and the power and the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls you his own. So make the most of the opportunity as a Christian as one loved by God. Understand the Lord's will. Declare the gospel. Be filled with the Spirit. And give thanks to God. Worshiping his name through the powerful, wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the, the hope of the gospel the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the one who died in our place, the one who's been raised from the dead, the one whose glory and power and authority fill, fill all of creation. And so, Lord, let us be filled with the Spirit. Let us submit ourselves to your control, to your authority. Let us live as those who bear the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, make us bold in our witness for Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would let us turn from sin, turn from foolishness, and follow after Christ. Lord, we thank you for the grace that is ours. As we come to give you thanks, we come to, to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to encourage each other in the hope of the gospel. We come giving thanks to you, God, our Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.